Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 21 of the Ask Mr. DNS podcast. I'm your co-host, Matt Larson, and with me in the same room is... Cricket Lou. In the very same room, in my office, as a matter of fact. That's right, in Santa Clara. I hardly know how to behave. Yes. It's, it's, it's a little different, isn't it? We don't have to worry about having headphones on, and we don't have a Skype call running between the two of us or anything like that. It's a little odd, though. I'm a little, I hope I'm not off my game as a result. <laughs> I don't know if anyone would recognize what <laughs> off our game is. <laughs> now, we need to do some something self-deprecating like the car talk guys always do. Oh, well, yeah, like what? I don't know. But they're always making fun of how terrible their show is. Yes, right, right. Exactly. When some other NPR commentator hears this, they disavow all right. affiliation. Okay. So how about when the Stuff You Should Know podcast guys hear this, they, that's the best, that's the best I got. I don't, I don't, I don't think they've ever heard it. <laughs> I'd like to think that they, they've heard it, but that's. Maybe someone will send it to them and they're, and they'll listen and they'll go, who the hell are these guys? Yeah. Yeah. Well, do we have questions in the mailbag? Do we have a mailbag here? Uh, that, that, that oh, I believe you found it. Uh, you're mailbag. opening it up, okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's our first question? I believe that it is this question, which we received um, way back December 10th, from uh, Josh Baverstock, who actually is one of our uh, former systems engineers here at Infoblox, now I think at F5. And his name sounds familiar. We've answered a question of his before. I think at least one yeah. that was submitted by Josh. So thank you, Josh, for continuing to be a... Uh, an avid and dedicated listener. Uh, Josh writes, what's the story with RFC 4398? It seems to me that storing public keys in DNS has some distinct advantages over standard SSL slash TLS because it avoids the multi-root design. He says, as I understand things today, if a CA issues a cert that says PayPal equals IP address uh, 1.2.3.4, then it's usable. Whereas with DNS, the entire world would trust the root, the root would delegate to com, and com would delegate to PayPal. Thus, in order to spoof a cert contained in DNS, you'd have to have root's private key. How far off am I on this perspective? So I guess that we should probably start by talking about RFC 4398. And as I said before we started, I don't know anything about RFC 4398, but I think you do. Uh, well, a, a tiny bit. I mean, RFC 4398, let's look at the date here. It's been around a while. It's um, February 2006, and the title is Storing Certificates in the Domain Name System. So it is the RFC that designs the, uh, defines the CERT record format. Uh-huh. So you can put an X509 certificate. I mean, most people just call these SSL CERTs. Uh, you can store it in DNS. And I'm not aware at this point of anyone actually doing that. I've never seen a CERT record in the wild. Have you? Um, no. I mean, I've, I've seen them as they're supposed to be represented in a... a, a own data file, but mostly I think for, you know, uh, uh, in, the, in the context of a tutorial or something. Right, right. <laughs> or yeah. the RFC itself. Yeah. So um, the thing about the CERT record, well, the thing about CERTs in general is that, uh, so, so uh, Josh uses the term CA, and, and that stands for Certificate Authority. So that's uh, somebody like, uh, well, not VeriSign anymore. VeriSign sold its uh, authentication business to Symantec. So Symantec's a Certificate Authority. Um, GoDaddy, the registrar, is a certificate authority. Huh. Komodo, uh, you know, there are a lot of certificate authorities, which is actually uh, an issue that some people have. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
more on that in a moment. So anyway, the certificate authority um, issues uh, a cert, and a cert by itself, like that, issued from a CA, is is self-authenticating. So it would be uh, quote unquote safe to store it in DNS without DNSSEC because you're not relying on uh, DNS to in any way uh, authenticate the cert. The fact that you've got this cert signed, issued by the CA, that's what authenticates the cert. Mm-hmm. And, and I should also say, Josh, Josh mentioned about uh, you know the the cert saying that it said that the you know this particular host name goes with this particular IP. Right. And strictly speaking, what's in the cert? Uh, semantically, you you would say it, it says this domain name has this public key because because right. that's what the CA is uh, is is authenticating. They're vouching for uh, the particular public key of a particular domain name. Right. They're not binding a name to an IP address. That's DNS. Exactly. Job. But exactly. they're letting you know sort of what you expect when you when you initiate that connection from your web browser, say to the web server. You ought to you ought to expect them to have the the uh, public key that. Uh, or to be able to use the public key that corresponds or is bound into the cert, right? Right, right. And and the reason that your web browser does this in the first place is that um, you know deep within the bowels of your web browser, configured by your vendor, and you've probably never seen this or touched it, there's a list of certificate authorities that your web browser trusts. Right. And if you look at that list, it's quite long. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's dozens. You know, it's not just 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 two or three. And so that means that basically they're they're all equal. Mm-hmm. And it makes some people nervous when they look at the lists of what. CA's popular web browsers actually trust. And some mm-hmm. people go, well, there's CA's run by some countries that I don't know that I really you know, want to be trusting. And so that's led some people to criticize the whole uh, X509 certificate authority framework. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think this is probably the point when I should say that, uh, you know, I, I just want to make it abundantly clear I'm representing only my own uh, <laughs> yeah. only my own opinions here. I'm channeling what other people say. I have no, uh, uh, my employer has no opinion on this, or at least I'm not representing my employer. Um, but so what that has led to after that long prelude is um, some work in the IETF right now. There's a recently formed working group called DANE, which stands for um, DNSSEC excuse me, DNS-based authentication of named entities. Hmm. And what that boils down to is people have said, well, once we have DNSSEC, do I, do I need a certificate authority anymore? Right. Couldn't I put a cert in DNS, and rather than relying on the CA for the authentication of that binding of uh, host name to public key, I could use DNS. Right. And since everything on the web browser, SSL side of things, already understands this cert format, you know, rather than try and, you know, redefine and come up with some new way to store a public key, the idea is, well, we take the cert record that we already have, and we take what's called a self-signed certificate, which mm-hmm. is you basically create a certificate that says, this is my host name, this is my public key, and then you sign it yourself with your own public key, right. which now... In, with your private key. Excuse me, thank you, with your private key. But the point is it's your own key. Right. And and so that's not something that anybody would have any reason to trust because that's basically you saying, I, I'm, I'm me. <laughs> I'm me, right. <laughs> right. Uh, however, what if you slap that cert in DNS and you have DNSSEC authenticating that cert? So now you're using the trust that you could get from DNSSEC starting at the signed root all the way on down to wherever this thing resides. And so what the Dane Working Group is trying to figure out is what is a standard way to do that? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is, is there a way is to come up with a set of rules for, you know, okay, if you're a web browser and you support this new way of doing things, you know, in addition to uh, relying on trusting CAs, you would also trust a DNSSEC authenticated cert record. And presumably there's also some notion of, like, the scope of what you can actually store a certificate of. I mean, if you're running infoblocks.com, you would only be able to store a cert 
for a name probably that ended with infobox.com, right? I couldn't, I mean, that's part, implicitly part yes. of what we're talking about. Yes, and, and yes, and uh, you know, I don't know, I haven't read, I confess now to not having read the documents closely enough, but like, you know, maybe, it, maybe the cert for a given name has to be at that name. Right, that right. Make, makes makes yeah. perfect sense, right? If you wanted to, to store a cert for www.infoblocks.com, it would have to be attached to the domain name www.infoblocks.com rather than just point to a cert that had that as its, you know, the name field or yeah. whatever exactly. it is in exactly. X509. Because then, and, and what you're really saying then is that whoever controls infoblocks.com, the DNS zone, you know, this protocol would give them the power to also uh, vouch for the public key for X509 purposes of whatever resides at www.infoblocks.com. Right, and the, and the beauty of this in a way is that you've got basically uh, by, by virtue of the fact that infoblocks.com or whatever has been delegated to you, you've got direct control over all the certs you would ever want to manage in that namespace. You don't have to go to any middleman. You don't have to go to uh, a, a CA to get something signed and pay them any money. There's no sort of round trip that way. You just put it into DNS. It's just another DNS management task. Uh, so you, you've effectively become autonomous, right, of, of those CAs. Right. Now, th this is maybe, I, I know we're, uh, we're Ask Mr. DNS, not Ask Mr. X509, but it's probably worth pointing out that this kind of certificate authenticated by DNS would be really more or less equivalent to what they call a domain-validated cert. That, you know, and that's just a term that CAs use. Mm -hmm. um, basically, the, the security is only as good as uh, whoever controls the domain name. Right. Because, like, to get a domain-validated cert today, you need to prove possession of that domain name to the CA. Like, they'll send you an email that you have to respond to proving that you control the domain. And there and, are more stringent types of, of certs that you can get, too, right? Right, which DNSSEC can't replace. And, yep. and, and, the, and the one... The only one that I'm aware of is called EV or extended validation, yeah. and and there's a there's a, a spec for this. The um, uh, the web browser uh, web browser no, I guess the CAs got together to do this, uh, and, and and it there's considerably more vetting involved. You know, when you apply for an EV cert, the CA has to do a lot more than just ensure that you possess that domain name. They like, are you a real business? Right. And you know, there's a whole bunch of you know, checking in the real world that goes on. Mm -hmm. And you may be aware, if you've seen your uh, web browser bar turn green, that's from right. an EV cert. So, and presumably the EV certs are also considerably more expensive because they've got to go to all of those those lengths on the back end to do the validation, right? That yeah, w without being a cert expert, that's and, and what I know of the market, that's been what I've seen. Yeah, that they are more expensive. So, I see. So DNSSEC will never replace EV certs, and there's definitely a place for EV certs, I would argue. And, and just to be clear, uh, so that we're not sort of conflating what we've been talking about with with what Josh asked, RFC 4398 is not Dane. Absolutely, it comes way before. That's just yeah. simply, here's how you put a cert in DNS. And the Dane folks are going, okay, now that we have DNSSEC, here's how we'd use that. And right. what else, you could do a lot of other things, really, when you think about it, once you have DNSSEC. Right, I mean, that's what's sort of interesting or compelling, well, one of the things, I guess, uh, that's interesting and compelling about DNSSEC is that once you can sort of trust the namespace, You've got this, you know, large, secure, distributed database, a ubiquitous distributed database, where you can store stuff like certs or, um, you know, I know that they, there's a standard for um, SSH fingerprints of hosts that you can store in DNS. There's DKIM and SPF and, you know, all kinds of other stuff like that that's used for you know, authorization or authentication. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if I've said this on the podcast, but I certainly say this when I'm talking about DNSSEC often, which is, you know, I think when we look back on it years from now, 
Um, you know, today everybody thinks, oh, DNS cycle helps stop spoofing and cash poisoning. And yeah, that's true. But I think when we look back, the real win is going to be what you just described, mm -hmm. that it allowed all kinds of new stuff to be put in DNS because you could then, you know, you could trust it. Right. I mean, it sort of, it sort of enables you to do a progressive hardening of all kinds of aspects of, of, of you know, internet protocols. Yep. Okay. I think we've more than answered that one, as, I, as is our usual <laughs> method. That's right, as is our want. Yeah. All right. Well, so let's, uh, shall we shift gears uh, completely and sort of uh, actually talk about something that for once is not DNSSEC related? Sure, absolutely. Right. Um, so this is a question from uh, a guy named Dirk Copeland in Idaho, Idaho Falls, Idaho. All right. Do you have any idea where Idaho Falls is? I, No, not exactly. I think, isn't Idaho Falls where... The Idaho National Energy Lab is? Don't ask, Inel? Don't ask me. I, I thought maybe it was, but I, I could be wrong about that. So, no, I don't. Okay. We could use, I, we, if we only had if a tool. Only, if only there were a way. <laughs> if we only had some way of looking up where Idaho Falls, Idaho was. It's too bad that we're in a shack in the middle of the desert with, you know, no. <laughs> All right, so anyway, Dirk writes, uh, he says, uh, Cricket Matt, I am trying to get a partner of ours to delegate some inadder.arpa, that means reverse address space, to our organization, and they appear to be having a bit of trouble doing so. When I try to look up the space using dig with a plus trace option, I am getting the message, bad horizontal referral. Have you seen this message? And if so, what is happening on their end? And any suggestions on how to fix it? So I, uh, I guess the answer, my answer to the first half of that question is, no, I haven't seen it, but I have a pretty good idea of what it likely indicates. Um, I think that what he's seeing when he does the dig plus trace is, uh, He's probably his his copy of Dig is seeing a succession of referrals from you know the root to the uh, ionadder.arpa name servers to you know some you know maybe uh, uh, some octet.ionadder.arpa name servers and then to let's just say you know two dot one dot ten dot ionadder.arpa name servers and then when Dig is querying that set of authoritative name servers what it's getting back is yet another referral but it's a referral to the same set, uh, to, to name servers for the same zone. So in other words, he, he's worked his way down to the 2.1.10.ionadder.arpa level. He gets back what looks like a referral, but it's a referral to the 2.1.10.ionadder.arpa name servers, except if it's, it's a different set of name servers. Right, so the same referral twice, or a referral to the same zone. But to a different set of name servers. Right. right. In, in an attempt sort of to, we used, I, I remember people used to ask if they could re-delegate a zone, which, right. is, which, which is, I think, what, what maybe somebody's trying to do here. And um, I think what's important here is that there's this sort of general rule that all referrals have to keep pointing downward. Right? Yeah, they, they can go more than one label, for That's sure. Right. Like you could go from foo.com. From foo.com, you could delegate to a.b.c.foo.com if you wanted. Yes. Yes. But but what you can't do is delegate from foo.com to foo.com. Right. You can't say, oh, well, yes, I know the foo.com uh, NS records in the comm zone point to my name servers, but actually they're really served by somebody else. You know, you can't have like a pointer or something that, that then, you know, uh, hands off that responsibility to some other set of name servers. Yeah. Once the NS records point to you, your name servers actually have to be authoritative for that zone. Right. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm sure that has to be what this is. I don't think I've seen this either, but... yeah. It's interesting to note, though, that, um, I mean, first of all, I guess since it's an ionadder.arpa zone and we're, we're seeing this, we should probably point him at RFC 2317. 
oh yes, classless inedited ARPA delegation. Right, because that may be what um, Dirk is trying to do, right? Um, the, the partner may be taking um, some, some section, for example, of like a slash 24 and trying to delegate control over, say, a slash 25, slash 26, or whatever to Dirk to manage. And if he is, in fact, trying to do that, there's a technique for doing that that's described in RFC 2317. If, on the other hand, he's just trying to give Dirk responsibility for the entire slash 24, and, of course, we're just guessing that it's a slash 24, right. he, can, he has to do that by going to the people uh, who delegated him the ionadder.arpa subdomain that corresponds to the 24 and asking them to redelegate, not redelegate that, but to change the delegation to point to Dirk's name servers. Right, right. Right. Yeah. And, and I guess what we maybe should have mentioned at the very beginning is what dig plus trace does. Um, yeah, good, good point. <laughs> which is, uh, it, it, it makes dig simulate um, uh, being an iterative resolver. That is, dig uh, starts from the root, always starts from the root. It has no cache or anything like that. Uh, and it just starts from the root and follows referrals. So it's sort of a, right. a quick and, and dirty way to see how resolution is going to work. Uh, it's not real smart. I, you know, it can't, uh, it can't do what Bind would call a query restart, right? Like if it gets, if it gets to a, a something that it can't resolve because it doesn't have the IP address and the glue, I think it just has to stop, right? I think so. And it, it also, of course, has to make decisions along the way. If it gets a referral to the com name servers, it has to choose one of the 13, right. and probably not fan out and query all 13 of them and, and things like that. But it is a handy troubleshooting tool. Um, yeah, considering I don't know any recursive name server that gives you logging comparable to that, so that if you wanted to see, yeah. actually, how is this resolving, right? And you, you, you can't see that in the logs, if not certainly bind. No, I mean, I always end up using, you know, Wireshark or something with bind in order to actually catch all of that information. Yeah. yeah. So there was a related question, really, um, from from Bob Harold at the, the University of Michigan that, that we might handle at the same time. Should we go um, on to that sure, one? Sure. Um, so Bob said, uh, today I was questioned about a domain where both DNS servers responded with serve fail. The serve fail response caused our mail server to retry many times, perhaps because serve fail could be a temporary issue. It turned out that the domain was registered with one registrar, but the NS records pointed to DNS servers at another registrar, which, which is, in fact, exactly what we were talking about, right? That is, yeah. that is that horizontal referral problem. He says, apparently the servers did not have a copy of the zone. We could guess at how that happened, but that's not my question. Normally, I would have expected to get an upwards referral if a DNS server did not host the zone being asked for. And, and just to be specific there, an upwards referral is a referral to name server sort of higher up in the, uh, in the DNS uh, namespace than, than the zone you're asking for. Right. So let's say you got a referral from the .com servers to um, the foo.com servers. And then you go ask the foo.com servers, and you're expecting to get something at or below foo.com. Right. But instead, you might get a referral to, let's say, the root. Right. That'd be an, up, upward, an referral. upward referral. Or, or, or referral to the com name right. servers from the foo.com name servers. But really only those two. Right. You in this case, You yeah. wouldn't get a referral to edu or something yeah. that's not in the, the sort of chain uh, uh, above foo.com. Yeah. So there's really only three possibilities. It's You get a referral downward, which is the usual thing. Yeah. You get a referral to foo.com again, which is what we just talked about. Right. Or you get an upward referral. Yep. Yeah. So um, uh, Bob says, uh, but in this case, the server responded with uh, serve fail. I was careful to use non-recursive queries. My guess is that the server was configured somehow to return serve fail instead of returning the list of parent NS records in order to avoid 
DNS amplification attacks. That's a noble cause, but is there a better way than returning serve fail? Well, we, we talked about this a little before we started recording, and I have a recollection of um, some authoritative server that does, well, at least it doesn't do an upward referral. I guess, so if you think about it, what, what, an, what, what an upward referral really means, or what it has traditionally meant, mm -hmm. is that the server you queried isn't authoritative for what you thought it was. Right. It's like it's saying, I don't know. Right. I'm actually not authoritative for that zone. Uh, you're, you're actually going to have to sort of go somewhere else, go higher up the hierarchy and work your way down again. Right. And, and so let, let's, let's go back to my foo.com example. You follow a referral to what you think are the foo.com servers, mm -hmm. and you ask them a question about foo.com. And the way, you know, certainly Bind has traditionally done this, if, if, if you ask it a non-recursive query about a zone it's not authoritative for, it's going to say, well, I, I don't know, I'll give you the best information that I have, and, and it's often a referral to the root or, you know, a referral to .com. But, but really, um, when you think about it, that's communicating one bit of information, which is yes. <laughs> I'm not authoritative. And, and a, a root referral is, you know, without, without, well, I have one right here, actually. Uh, let's see, the .com name servers return a root referral that is 236 bytes. So fairly large compared to the size of the query. Right. Yeah, and well, so depending. Right? Yeah, but yeah. yeah, and so some people have said, well, this is you know this is uh, a dumb thing to do. Semantically, it makes sense because you can sort of look at it and say, oh yes, I see, I see what's going on. But in terms of what needs to be sent, it's it's way too much information. And so I I know that I've seen authoritative servers that do not send a root referral. And actually, the spec doesn't require that, right. that you that you that you send that. And, and we even tested my authoritative name server, for example, and I haven't done anything special with its configuration, but it's running bind 9.7.2 or 3, and it, it returned our code refused, which mm -hmm. is, is in a way sort of equivalent, right? I mean, all you really need to do is indicate to the querier, oh, gosh, I don't know anything about that zone, and refused or serve fail uh, or an upward referral all kind of do that equivalently. Refused and serve fail just do it in sort of fewer bytes. Yeah, yeah. So I, we couldn't, in our you know, brief searching, find a server or recall a server that actually sent serve fail, but I suppose it's a perfectly reasonable answer, although um, I would not have guessed about this amplification angle that, uh, that Bob describes. Well, you know, actually that change was made to bind name servers a while back in response to, um, if I remember correctly, in response to an actual exploit, you know, uh, the 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 use of um, that vector as an amplification attack. Yeah, well, you you alluded to that a moment. Well, you didn't allude. You said it a moment ago that the the response is considerably larger than than the query. Right, right, right. And in in fact, you know that change was made. I, with, it's got to be within the last couple of years, I think, to bind name servers to address that. Yeah, there, I remember the 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 amp, big amplification attacks that were DNS related that kind of made the news. I want to say those were in early two thousand and seven. That long ago. I wow. think so, yeah. <laughs> well, because 2008 was the summer of fear with the whole, you know, Dan Kaminsky's Oh, right, right, right. And it, it was, was before, before that. that. Yeah, yeah, it was before that. You're right. So. You're right. So that behavior, I mean, I guess in sort of compared to the overall history of DNS was just a short time ago, yeah. but, but relatively long time compared to, uh, you know, at least DNS sack and the Kaminsky vulnerability and things like that. And also you and I are not getting any younger. Sadly, no. <laughs> When we're in the same room, I can see your gray hair, Cricket. Yes, yes. There's more and more of it with each yeah. passing day. So those who have not 
seen us I, cricket has dark hair so you can see his gray hair my hair is blonde so it's <laughs> it's, it's there the gray is there you just can't see it as much so. yes yeah so um i don't know do we have anything else to say about this particular question i don't think so yeah. I, I mean at least i can't think of anything else <laughs> to say about then, it then that would be a good time to stop talking about it so. yeah yeah well the good thing is now that I'm going to get get rid of uh, three of these black T-shirts, that's right. Right, I have this whole box. This this entire FedEx uh, box here is full of these black T-shirts. I'm looking at it. I will vouch for the FedEx box with T-shirts. Yeah. So I wonder if these should, are if it's a selection of sizes or whether they're all like extra small. Should we <laughs> should we describe the T-shirt for our listeners? I, we should because we haven't said anything about them up to now, aren't they? Oh, I guess I put them over there. So here I'll take. Uh, here, I'll take one out. Here we go. All right, it's a black T-shirt. It has white lettering on it, and on the front it says, Are You Protected? And on the back it says, www.practicesafetyns.org. Donated by our friends at PAR, right? PAR, that's right. That's right. Lauren Rogers, right? Um, Lauren Price. Lauren Price. Oh, I gave her I gave her maiden name there. <gasps> Sorry, Lauren. Oh. So... You know, you, you could have you could have subjected her to social engineering attacks. <laughs> <now>. Whoops! <laughs> Poor Lauren. Yeah, I, I need to change all those security questions, Lauren. Sorry about that. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, let's see. We don't have uh, uh, a postal address for Bob. And we do have one for Dirk. He he was he was thinking ahead, and poor Josh sent his question so long ago that it was before <laughs> and before we had actually announced that we were going to do this. Yeah. yeah. So uh, so Josh and Bob, if you're listening, you need to please email Mr. DNS again with your postal address so we can send you a T-shirt. Yeah, and we'll certainly also send them email and ask ask for their oh I guess we addresses. I guess we can do can do that. Can't we we, <laughs> we, if, we only, if we only had a way to use. <laughs> That funny email address. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we can do that, and we'll we'll certainly do that. And and uh, again, extend our invitation to all of our uh, legion of listeners uh, to submit their questions. And where do they send them? They they send them to Mr. DNS at ask Mr. DNS dot com. And if they do, uh, that is, if we if we uh, answer your question on air, we'll we'll send you one of these T-shirts until they are all gone. And then we're going to have to come up with a a new Ask Mr. DNS T-shirt. Yes, because our, our listeners will will be at our gates like you know villagers with pitchforks and torches, demanding that we continue sending out trinkets. Indeed, indeed. But we haven't really digressed as much as we usually do in this episode. Is, is that a, a side effect of the fact that we're actually in the same room? Probably. <laughs> we could talk about the weather. I was commenting to Cricket that I came to the Bay Area and it's rainy and cold, whereas back in Washington D.C. it's uh, 70 degrees out, which is Let's see. If only there were a way to quickly convert that to uh, Celsius for our international listeners. What is it? Ah, oh, Google, you let me down. Try uh, try Wolfram Alpha. There we go. <laughs> it's 21.1 degrees Celsius. 21.1 degrees Celsius. Well, that sounds like a nice day, much nicer than it is here. It's It's been gloomy pretty much this whole week. But last weekend, I have to say, it was very, very nice. Well, that doesn't, that doesn't do me good. And we're expecting a, a respite on uh, Sunday, a break in the rain. All right. Well, do you want to take us out? Sure, sure. Thank you, as always, for tuning in to the Ask Mr. DNS podcast. Remember, we'd love to get your questions. Just send them to Mr. DNS, that is MRDNS, at ask-mrdns.com. Uh, again, we're happy to send you guys uh, a beautiful black T-shirt uh, if we do answer your question on air. 
uh, and until next time, thanks. Thanks. Bye-bye.